everyone. You're listening to the Keeping It Real with Janine podcast. I'm Janine Strong. One of my favorite guests is with us again, Dr. Stephanie Seneff. She is very much sought after these days for her research on the degenerative effects of, we'll call them the jabs. She is a consummate researcher and dot connector. I love our conversations and I always learn so much. All of our conversations are timeless and I believe this is maybe our eighth one. Um, They're all timeless, they're all relevant still. So if you're interested in more from Stephanie, please go to therealjanine.com website and go to the archives. For a quick bio, Dr. Stephanie Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT. Since 2008, she has focused her research interests on the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health, especially the role of glyphosate, one of my favorite topics too. She has been intensely researching connections between toxins and COVID-19 for the last two years, probably last two plus years now. If you haven't heard Dr. Seneff speak, I think you're in for a treat. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome back. So great to be back. Thank you for having me yet again. <laughs> always a pleasure to talk with you, Janine. Yeah, I really always enjoy our conversations. So you have been researching with, uh, is it Greg Nye? Yes, uh-huh. okay. Dr. Greg, Greg Nye. Dr. Greg Nye. And um, about the adverse effects of these so-called vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, now, did I see there was a, was there a paper that Peter McCullough had something to do with too? Uh, yes, I'm very happy to say that Peter McCullough collaborated with us on a follow-on paper. So Greg Nye and I wrote a paper which was published last May, uh, Worse Than the Disease, Some mm-hmm. Possible Unintended Consequences of the Messenger RNA Vaccines Against COVID-19. That was the paper we published in May, long and many, many references. And uh, we turned around and wrote another paper, and this time we collaborated with Peter McCullough and also uh, with another, uh, so there's four of us on this paper. And the fourth one is Anthony um, Kyriagopoulos, I believe it is. He has a long Greek last name that I have a hard <laughs> time remembering. But he's outstanding. He's so brilliant. And Greg and I have both enjoyed um, expanding our horizons with our understanding of biology. This is what, you know, one thing I really love about all this, all these toxic chemicals that we're being exposed to is that they really help someone interested in understanding how life works gets a lot of help from these chemicals because you see how it messes things up mm, and then mm-hmm. helps you to understand how it's supposed to work. Got it. Quite interesting. It's sad to say, but lots of people are getting sick uh, from glyphosate, but also I think from these vaccines, I think we're going to see uh, an increase in a lot of uh, very debilitating diseases looking into the future. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I'm thinking with these, the toxic stuff that's in these vaccines. Right. I think you're right. I mean, from <laughs> everybody that I listen to that I read um, it's that's what's going to happen because it's it's destroying our white blood well not us who haven't gotten vaxxed but <laughs> it's destroying their white blood cells and it's messing up their innate immune system so that it can't function properly and it's it's my truly my heartfelt hope that some kind of I do believe there are I mean there's so many cool healing technologies out there. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think there are more to come. 
And yes. um, whether it's these med beds or whatever, but I, I really do hope that that something comes out in the near future that will be able to really help these people and, and turn it around for them. Right. And I know a lot of people who are trying hard to figure that out, just try to understand how to how to help them and how to get them to heal mm-hmm. from the damage that's been done by these injections. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, I've been looking into a lot of the technological kinds of things uh, because I like gadgets. But <laughs> mm. uh, currently, I'm really, I'm really researching and learning about tachyons and how tachyon particles uh, work oh, and wow. uh, how they heal. Yeah, it's um, that's my my new area, and also um, the plasma technology. Uh-huh. Uh, that uh, uh, the Keshe Foundation is has been working on these these healing beds and lots of different things with uh, with plasma. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, I haven't gotten into that as much as I maybe should. Well, it's it's fun because there. I mean, there are some really really cool things happening, and I do think that a lot of things are going to be coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we'll need these kinds of things more. <laughs> Yeah, so let's go into why we're going to need them. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. I hardly know where to begin. And it's so interesting to me that I think most people, I mean, like 75%, I think, of the population in the United States has basically gotten these these jabs and accepted them to some degree. I don't know how many were forced to get them in order to keep their job versus the ones who very happily lined up and, you know, we're, we're happy to get these uh, these jabs because the... The messaging has been that the disease is terrifying, absolutely terrifying, and you have to do everything you can to prevent it. And here we have these wonderful injections that are both safe and effective, safe and effective over and over, you know. Mm -hmm. So people just, most people just think, oh, that's great. I'll go do that, you know. I know. And you know what gets me, though, is that when people have, and I see this a lot on Telegram, people have a serious adverse reaction and they're going to go get another one. I know. I know. Well, in fact, sometimes they have to because I have now heard of people, more than one actually, uh, of people um, that got, they're not necessarily people I know, people that I met since the vaccines or someone, a friend, you know, someone who knows someone who knows me type mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. um, who were um, who got the vaccine, got the first one, got injured by it. And then, um, so then it's all, well, I'll use that injury to get out of getting any more. And they'd write a, uh, a medical, they'd write a medical, you know, get a doctor to write a medical excuse and send it, submit it to whoever is forcing them to get the jab. And they say, no, no, that's not good enough. So then they get the next one, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was amazing. One of them ended up with myocarditis and, and it's a young person. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's just horrible that, uh, that they don't accept it, that if you've had a bad reaction to the first one, the other one that I am aware of has tinnitus and they got the tinnitus after the first jab. And then, you know, oh, no, that's not good enough. That's fine if you're going to have tinnitus for the rest of your life. We don't care. Go ahead and get another one. Let's see what that does to your ears. I mean, it's just really amazing to me how um, determined the the employment, you know, the places that are employing or the students, you know, at the schools, mm-hmm. how determined they are at the at the regulatory level to make sure that everybody gets this despite so much evidence of harm. I know. It's shocking to me. You know, Stephanie, to me, like if you have an adverse reaction and you're being forced to get another one, that tells me this is not about a virus. This is not, you know, this is, there is something much bigger going on here. Why in heaven's name would you force someone to do something that's already given them, you know, a, a, 
a, a terrible outcome of some sort. I um, know, against their will. I mean, I just thought, you know, first do no harm is like the big deal in medicine, <laughs> right? What happened? It, it's gone. It's completely gone. I just, uh, I, I'm so shocked. And, I, you know, all the way through this whole process, and I'm sure you've been the same, I keep thinking, oh, it couldn't get that bad, right? <laughs> and then it does get that bad. And then it's like, oh, it couldn't get that. And again, you know, it keeps getting worse and worse. Like I thought, first of all, I thought they'd never um, recommend these these jabs for anybody, for anyone under 20, really, you know? Because mm-hmm. those people don't get, they don't, they hardly even get sick from COVID. They don't have a need for it. Why would you give it to them? And then now it's already down to six months old, right? They're trying to get it. Uh, approved. That totally blows my mind. Six months old. I mean, I don't know what is the matter with them. How they could be so stupid as to think that this is a good idea is beyond my belief. Mm -hmm. That's why I think either people are getting well paid or bribed or blackmailed or uh, there's some, I I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, my mind doesn't work that way. And so I can't understand how some people think. And think I know that this is okay. I just don't get it. You know, I thought we lived in a free country that we're proud of our freedom in this country. What is the matter with us? You know, that we're willing to be coerced into getting something that we know is going to hurt us. It's just amazing. Uh, I could rant on for and on, but let me tell you some about what I've discovered about these because it is extremely interesting biology that's going on, mm-hmm. and um, and I've become very fascinated with it, and it's helped me, as I said, to understand more about human biology, even beginning to understand what's going on with prion proteins, which I'm so interested in. I've been interested in prion proteins for a long time. Um, you know, they're the prion proteins and prion-like proteins. They're really, really interesting proteins that are, um, there are quite a few of them mm-hmm. in the bo- that the body makes. And, um, and of course, there's also uh, ones that are from pathogens. So you can get some of them from pathogens like the spike protein in the, in the uh, virus. That's an example of a prion-like protein. Mm-hmm. But, um, doesn't glyphosate do something with prions too, if I recall? Yes, yeah, I okay. remember that probably mm-hmm. from previous conversations with mm-hmm. me. That's also very, very fascinating because I think the glyphosate's getting into these prion proteins and prion-like proteins and causing them to misfold in the way that sort of crystalline seeds misfolding of other proteins. They're like It's like a, um, a protein-based infection model where they can propagate it's so interesting because, you know, you have a virus, any kind of a pathogen is, an, is something living that can reproduce itself. You know, mm-hmm. the whole purpose, the whole basis of something living is that it can make copies of itself, you know, okay. either through our reproduction, right, or the viruses, they multiply, right? Mm-hmm. They know how to make more. And these, it was a very controversial idea that was proposed by this guy who got the Nobel Prize for his work, uh, Prusiner, uh, P-R-U-S-I-N-E-R, you know, many years ago, Prusiner mm-hmm. proposed that there was a possibility of a disease that could be um, created by an infectious agent that's not a living form. It's a protein, just a protein, which is a part of life, but it's a, you know, a protein could cause disease in a way that it could um, be a seed. It's more, instead of the protein actually copying itself, Mm -hmm. the protein is causing other proteins in the cell to reshape themselves and cr- sort of crystallize around that seed, which is this misfolded protein. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, interesting. So it's not actually reproducing itself, but it's causing other proteins to do something. Yeah, to do something similar. So in a sense, it is reproducing itself, hmm. but only by virtue of coercing these other proteins to misfold in the same way. 
it triggers them to do the same thing. Oh, wow. For some reason, that sounds creepy. <laughs> it is creepy. It's really creepy. And uh, it kind of brings chills up my spine. Yeah. Because that's really the basis of a lot of really nasty diseases. You know, you have Alzheimer's. And the protein linked to Alzheimer's is amyloid beta. You've probably mm-hmm. heard of amyloid mm-hmm. beta plaque. We've mm-hmm. talked about it. Yep. And, and that protein has this sequence, you know, GXXXG, XXXG, three glycines that they know is, is a critical point, the spot in the protein that misfolds to start all the mess that happens. That's the center of the story that causes that protein to misfold. And it's got those glycines there that I think glyphosate is replacing by mistake. And when glyphosate replaces the glycine, that causes it to misfold in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. They've shown that when you replace those glycines with something else, it misfolds. So, wow. yeah. Now, can can a, a protein that has misfolded, can it, uh, how do I want to say, uh, the only word I can think of right now is rectify itself. But, you know, can it? No, an excellent question. That's a very good question. I've been wondering that myself. And I've been reading a ton about these, you know, as I said, I've been reading about these diseases long before COVID. I've been so interested, of course, with glyphosate, too, because Alzheimer's is going up in prevalence exactly in step with the rise in in, uh, glyphosate usage on core crops, which shows you that there's potentially, you know, correlation doesn't always mean causation, but I think it is a causal effect. Mm -hmm. And I think it's caused by this uh, ability for glyphosate to replace the glycines. And... um, the prion protein, so the prion protein itself, the human prion protein, there's a single protein called the prion protein. Okay. And it has a huge long sequence of GXXXGXXXGXXXGX. It goes on for many Gs, you know? Uh-huh. And what are the Xs? Uh, anything. They're wild cards. Okay. So you have basically okay. glycine, and then you could have alanine or glutamate okay. and all these different amino acids, and then you go back to another glycine, and they're okay. regularly spaced. And those regularly spaced glycines mm. are the ones that kind of zipper the thing together to make a what's called a um, alpha helix. Okay. It's like a twisted shape that goes, in the case of amyloid beta, it goes into the membrane with that shape. And then if the glycines are replaced by, glycine is the smallest amino acid, and it has to be uh, glycine in order to be able to sew together. Otherwise, it gets too far apart, you know? Okay. And so, um, so when you start mucking with those glycines and putting something else there, that helix completely unravels. Then it turns into a beta sheet. It's called a beta sheet, which is which goes into the cytoplasm. And then if you get enough of those, and those are sort of soluble, uh, misfolded proteins, mm-hmm. and then eventually they start gathering together to, fake, to form fibrils, and then those fibrils precipitate out. That's the whole process of the misfolding. But you can actually bring those fibrils back in, it turns out. There's ways to get them to come back to the old shape type of thing, or even mm-hmm. to come back into solution. Um, you know, the, the soluble form. And then I don't know about getting from the soluble form back to the alpha helix. That might be hard, but it, but they can switch between the soluble form and the um, and the fibril that precipitates out. Mm-hmm. You can pull them back into solution. And now, whether that's good or not is not known. That's this other right. interesting thing. Hmm. They don't really know what's toxic about them. All they know is that when you have a lot of them, you're in trouble. You know, mm-hmm. you can see them in the brain associated with Alzheimer's disease. And they don't know even whether they might even be protective. So it's so interesting that, and the other thing is they don't know what they do. This is what really is flabbergasting to me. These proteins, um, all of them pretty much, they don't know what they do. They know they're essential because you can get, if you have a mutation such that your body just can't even make that protein, Mm -hmm. which you can have, um, then you die. You die before you're born. They're that important. Wow. 
It's so interesting. And then they don't know what they do. So I find that I want to know what they do, basically. Yeah. Good. And then, you know, why they miss, I have so many questions about them that is so fascinating. So um, it's been really kind of gripping me lately, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, the, I was just thinking too. Now, if those glycines are supposed are the the GXXG, if the glycines are supposed to be there, and the glyphosate comes in and pops them off or whatever, and takes their place or mm-hmm. eats them, and, I mean, is it because glyphosate is really aggressive, or you know, yeah. why why does it why does it do that? Why doesn't the glycine stand up for itself? I guess I would say. Right. Yes. It's just an accident when it's making the protein because glyphosate is a glycine molecule. It has exactly the same shape Mm -hmm. as glycine. So it fits into the pocket that is looking for glycine. Um, It has extra stuff on its nitrogen atom, which is what makes it different from glycine and also what makes it toxic. Mm -hmm. But that stuff is not necessarily in the way because it's that part that is the glycine can still fit in the pocket. So what happens, I think, is that um, when the protein is being made, glyphosate happens to be nearby and grabs it instead and Mm -hmm. puts it there. Okay, that makes sense that I get. Okay. So it's random errors here and there throughout your proteins. And in some cases, you know, your body probably does just fine. That protein's got a glyphosate there, no big deal. But other proteins have super, super important glycines in them. Collagen's another example. Collagen also has this beautiful, it has a triple helix structure that it forms. And collagen has a long, long list of GXY, GXY, GXY. So it's every third amino acid. The other one is GXXX. G, right? So it's three three X's in between the G's. This Mm -hmm. one's only two. Mm -hmm. So every third amino acid is a glycine over a huge long stretch of collagen. And and collagen is the most Mm -hmm. common protein in the body. 25% of our proteins are collagen. That's the glue, you know, in the joints and in the bones and in the, in the, even in the brain that holds, sort of holds your body together. The collagen in the skin. Mm -hmm. That's why I put collagen in my protein drink. There you go. Yeah. So it's super important. And collagen is getting all jammed up with glyphosate, I think. And that's why we have like even Ehlers-Danlos, you know, Ehlers-Danlos uh, syndrome. No, what e- is that? I haven't heard that. A- it's E-H-L-E-R, Ehlers-Danlos, D-A-N-L-O-S. Oh, that's what is a, that? That's a syndrome that uh, that is caused by uh, d- d- uh, genetic mutations in the glycines in the collagen. <sighs> oh, and, and so, what what would be the uh, out projecting of that? The symptoms of that? Yeah, it's you know you have uh, those people have really double joints, like they can bend their hands way back and stuff like that. They typically have very flexible mm-hmm. joints, mm-hmm. Um, but they also have susceptibility to a lot of joint injury and aches and pains in the joints, and they have to get new knee replacement surgery and stuff like that. They're very um, susceptible to damage to their joints. Got it. And and but so glyphosate substituting for glycine is like a mutation. It causes mm-hmm. something similar. And Ehlers-Danlos is going up uh, in prevalence, which is weird because it's a genetic disease. But I think that's because glyphosate is causing the protein to misfold in the same way that it would have had it there been a mutation. It acts like a mutation. Interesting. So are you saying then that the spike, uh, getting back to the jabs, the spike protein, does that kind of act mm-hmm. in the same way? So I was talking about the GXXXG, right, mm-hmm. in, in the Alzheimer's uh, protein and also in the prion protein where there's this long sequence. And the spike protein has six of those. Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's protein has those two in a row, but altogether I think it has four or maybe five, four, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, uh, the, the uh, regular prion protein has like 15 of those. 
okay. of the GXXHG. But the spike protein has six, and that is really quite a few. Most proteins have none, have zero. Oh, okay. Okay. So having six makes it uh, very susceptible. And there's other evidence of it being a pyrin-like protein. There's a new paper out, I think just in January of this year, um, that uh, talks about, and these are people who are experts on uh, on prions and experts on vir- viruses, and they see that the sequence in that spike protein is characteristic of a prion protein. So they're they're saying... Uh, theoretically, that the spike protein is a prion-like protein, which means it can misfold in that same way and wow. cause disease and cause basically seed crystalline seed um, misfolding of human proteins that would then lead to all these different horrible diseases. Okay, so question: If that's the case and that's being injected into people, um, they didn't know this. <laughs> well, that's hard to believe. <laughs> that's hard to believe. I don't know how they could not know that and how they could not be worried about that. And particularly because, you know, people can say, well, COVID's got the spike protein too. So, you know, if you're going to get the disease, you're still going to also get that problem. And it's true because you have, you know, long haul COVID. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of neurological symptoms in the brain, sort of brain fog and um, headaches, those kinds of things. Um, but the thing is that if you have a healthy immune system, the virus never gets it out of the lungs. So you may, even out of the nose in some cases, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. spread because right. your immune system just jumps right on it and gets rid of it mm-hmm. um, before you get beyond the symptoms of the nose and the lungs. And so it never gets into the blood for the system, you know, the, the blood. Mm-hmm. It never gets past the blood barrier. You have to go past the, the, um, the lung barrier first and then past the blood barrier to get into other organs and things like that. Okay, that makes and sense. So, um, so you're pretty safe with the if you have a healthy immune system, which of course you don't if you've been exposed to glyphosate. So that's an issue, but um, you shouldn't worry about the about the virus if you've got a strong immune system. But the vaccine, you know, it's it's already injected past the lung barrier, past the vascular barrier, into the muscle. It's already gone past those two barriers, mm-hmm. so it's really hitting the ground running. And so right. what happens? And then the other thing is that it gets into the immune cells, the dendritic cells. There you know, are these immune cells that typically handle a new infection. They see this, this strange spike protein showing up in the muscle, and they recognize that it's a foreign protein, but they don't know where it came from because there's no virus associated with just a protein, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they're very confused. But then they come into the muscle, and then they start taking it up as well. The virus, the virus uh, doesn't invade the dendritic cells. They don't have the ACE2 receptor. So they're safe from getting infected with the virus. Whereas they're not safe from getting infected with the with the vaccine, mm-hmm. so the immune cells themselves start taking up those nanoparticles that contain the messenger RNA, and then they start making spike protein too because they can't stop themselves from doing it. The whole thing is set up to just force any cell that picks up the the vaccine to start making lots of spike protein, like there's no tomorrow. Just keep making spike protein. So they're flooded with this spike protein that they're making themselves, and they, and they know it's toxic. <laughs> I think of them as sort of little animated beings, you know, these mm, cells. Mm-hmm. but the dendritic cells are like, oh, my God, I got to get this stuff into the limb system, show those B cells and T cells so they can produce antibodies. There's a real single minded goal. The only option here is to get antibodies to those spike proteins to sort of shield them so they won't be able to stick to the ACE2 receptors, you know, Okay. get those antibodies going. And so they rush into the lymph system, like in the arm, you, people get a lot of one of the common side effects is a swollen lymph nodes under mm-hmm. the arm right? where the injection was. That's an indicator of breast cancer, by the way. So that people have been going in for 
for a test for breast cancer because their glands are swollen and then they'll say, oh, the lymph nodes are swollen. And the doctor will say, oh, well, no, that's just the vaccine. Don't worry about it, you know. Oh, it's just the vaccine. <laughs> but that's what it means to me. If it's doing the same thing that breast cancer does, maybe it causes breast cancer, right? It's mm-hmm. possible. And there are reasons why I believe it could. Anyway, I'm getting diverted. But so we get so these dendritic cells carry their spike protein and their messenger RNA into the uh, lymph nodes, and they go to the germinal centers in the lymph nodes, and um, and then they're they're trying to inform the B cells and the T cells, which they draw them in. They have this whole inflammatory response that draws in the B, t- B cells and the T cells, and then the dendritic cells basically expose this spike protein that they're making on their surface, they also release it. They release lots of it in the form of exosomes. They're making lots and lots of spike protein. They have to get rid of it. So they ship out these little exosomes, which are also like nanoparticles, Mm -hmm. lipid nanoparticles. And the exosomes contain the spike protein. It's displayed on the surface of the exosomes. And those are little, you know, lipid particles that can get all over the place. They're not contained. They go Mm. all over the lymph system. They go to the spleen. Well, the immune cells even make their way to the spleen. Okay. Still carrying the messenger RNA, still making spike protein. The thing is, they've designed the messenger RNA. They've really clever design. These people are smart, and they've been doing this for like 30 years, right? They've been developing, and they've been refining their technique for 30 years for this messenger RNA te- technology. Mm-hmm. And they've figured out how to make that uh, messenger RNA really, really sturdy and make it able to keep on making protein without any control. These are two goals that they had. They wanted to make sure that enough spike protein is made to induce an immune response to get the antibodies. That's their goal. And they did a fabulous job of it. Okay. You know, very sky high antibody levels after about two weeks after the second shot, you get really good, really quote unquote good antibody response because uh, good is not necessarily good because when you get high levels of antibodies, you have to run the risk of autoimmune disease because those antibodies can start attacking human proteins that are similar to the spike protein. That's a whole yeah. other issue that will cause right. autoimmune disease. But the, uh, <laughs> I mean, so they, you know, because they've traced, I mean, there's a lot of different papers that I've sort of used to hook all this story together. But one paper that was important, um, <clears throat> it's traced the messenger RNA to see where it goes, because they actually didn't know what happens to it when they inject it in the arm. One of the things they claimed is that it stays in the arm, you know, it doesn't go anywhere. But that is definitely not true. Right. And so, um, so this tracer study that was able to figure out where the cells were going with the messenger RNA inside them making spike protein, they found that they ended up in several organs and the highest concentration was in the spleen. Mm-hmm. The spleen picked up the most. I mean, it's still, of course, in the lymph system. The lymph system is where a lot of it is. And it's still in the muscle, too. There's a bunch in the muscle. A considerable amount gets into the lymph system. And that goes throughout the lymph system, but especially, of course, the local lymph nodes under the arm and then it makes its way to the spleen from the lymph system and to the ovaries right. now the ovaries were the second highest level in this study mm-hmm. and, and the liver so the liver the ovaries the spleen probably the testes probably the placenta if you're pregnant you would just assume so because these things are all connected to the lymph system you know it's those um organs that are attached to the lymph system that are going to get the highest exposure okay and wherever it goes, it's going to cause inflammation. So you get inflammation in the placenta if you're pregnant, which is surely not a good idea. Mm-hmm. It could even, I think, cause a spontaneous abortion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, you know, then it gets into the spleen and starts making lots and lots of spike protein there. And it ships out all these exosomes. And this is where things get really interesting because the exosomes 
are very, uh, they travel very easily along nerve fibers. And the spleen has this major splanchnic nerve that hooks up to a center where it then hooks up with the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve goes to the heart, to the lungs, to the brain, to the liver. So all of those are going to get um, exposure to, to X spike protein on the surface of exosomes that are arriving from the spleen. I picture that, you know, lots of exosomes pouring out of the spleen, traveling along the nerve fibers, making their way to the heart, the brain, the liver, mm-hmm. the gut, uh, mm-hmm. and the lungs. So then you've got all those organs getting poisoned by the spike protein. And then we haven't even gotten into the graphene oxide that's in there. <laughs> I know. I keep on wondering about the graphene oxide. At first, I was like, no, this is crazy. I don't believe it, you know. Um, And I'm still kind of doubtful. (laughs) But I see there's more and more evidence. I've seen, you know, pointers to papers, um, articles that are saying that, you know, experts have found it in there. So I don't know what to make of that. And I did find a paper that talked about graphene oxide uh, connected to polyethylene glycol that Mm -hmm. you could use graphene oxide to somehow strengthen the polyethylene glycol. I mean, they're doing all these weird things with these weird substances that have no business being in biology. Right. They're always, you know, they got their single-minded goal. And uh, if they achieve that, they're very happy. And they don't seem to worry too much about what kind of collateral damage there might be. I guess not. I mean, that leads me to think that's maybe part of the, the whole idea. You know. I know, I know. I have really wondered about um, whether there's a hope, a hope, quote unquote, on their part of reducing the human population by virtue of disrupting the reproductive system. You know, if you start giving these jabs to two-year-olds, what's it going to do to their reproductive system? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and killing people off. I mean, was it David Martin? Uh, one of the talks. He's so brilliant, and he really, I, I, I like, I really like him because he absolutely backs everything up that he says. He has. He's so interesting. I yeah. actually heard him give a live talk. I was in the audience oh, at cool. the Western Price meeting. It was so amazing for an, a one-hour presentation. He's very colorful and he does. Oh, a really is that the job. one? That's the one where he was actually humorous. Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh... <laughs> I saw, saw that. <laughs> Yes, because he's silly. he's usually so you know serious, and yeah. and he was cracking jokes. I was like, oh my god, this guy's got a sense of humor. <laughs> yes, he's really come forward with it, and he has such an interesting background that really you know allows him to see things that other people wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it, he's the one who talked about the influence of life insurance companies in mm-hmm. this, and and. And knocking off all of the elderly, uh, mm-hmm. life insurance will not pay out if it's from an experimental drug. Oh, yeah. that's very interesting. Right. I like, hadn't thought of that. Wow. Right. Yeah. If it's experimental, they will not pay out. Interesting. Mm-hmm. There must be people that are really up in arms about that. You know, mm-hmm. people whose loved one got killed by a vaccine and then they ha- didn't get their life insurance. That's got to be really bad. I haven't heard a lot of chatter on that. Right. Right. I, and, you know, so you have that and then you have all of the medical bills that the uh, health insurance companies don't have to cover. It's it's so criminal. I, I, I just yeah. can't even. It, it's huge. It, it is. It's so amazing. It's just really hard to fathom how people could care so much about money that they'd be willing to cause so much harm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that at all. Well, I think you have to have an overall, I mean, I don't know how so many people 
got pulled into this. You know, like I was talking to someone and I said, well, if you're only listening to, I don't even call it mainstream media anymore. If you're only listening to corporate media, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're getting, you're getting the talking points that mm-hmm. the globalist elite who are running things, uh, running this whole sham want. And, and they said, well, how can they all be in on it? And I said, well, all of the corporate media is owned by five corporations. Mm-hmm. So I call it corporate media. And the top shareholders of all of those are BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. That's so interesting. And that was the whole thing that David Martin brought up in his talk. He right. He really it to the financial system. And then the the one that, uh, the company that was um, get, getting the money to support the research to develop the vaccine was also very, very strange, I remember. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a, a sort of a brand new company that appeared out of nowhere, and it was just kind of a way to um, to transfer the money to the companies like Moderna to get them to do the research. Um, the whole know, thing really is incestuous, if you look, you know, if you think of it, it that yes. way. I mean, it's just so interconnected. I'm I'm going to try to find David Martin's talk at Weston mm-hmm. Price, and I'll I'll put a link to it. That would be wonderful. That's such a good talk. And, and he mentioned he had a whole chart where he had that company um, singled out that was uh, military. It was derived from the military, and it was a um, some kind of a a, a way to to just distribute the money to the you know to the Moderna and the and Pfizer and whatnot to get them to have resources to develop these vaccines. Mm-hmm. It was all some kind of a military connection. It was very strange, you know, some kind of financial holding company for them, for the money to just have a place to park it, right? When mm-hmm. The government allocates the money parked there and then it gets distributed to these companies. Um, it was just really strange. Yeah. And if you look at, uh, if you look at a lot of these, um, high level politicians, CEOs, like I was just reading Doug Ford. He's the Ottawa or the MP for Ontario. Mm. And he was worth like, I don't know, two, three million, not, mm-hmm. you know, not too many years ago. And now he's worth like 20 million. Come on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. All the rich <laughs> are getting <know>? richer. <laughs> it's really sad. And with such a small percentage of the population owns so much of the wealth. It's just ridiculous right now. It's so bad. I know. And getting worse. <laughs> Even when, like with the with the truckers in, in Ottawa, I know the mainstream media is not uh, presenting them in a good light. They try mm-hmm. to find any little thing and say, you know, they're, they're horrible uh, white supremacists or whatever. But everything that I've seen, I've seen a lot of videos. I've talked to uh, people who are there. And it's peaceful, it's loving, it's so inspiring, people feel so emotional about it. Mm-hmm. And all they're asking for is a face-to-face to have a conversation and to talk about this and to resolve it. And I, <clears throat> I won't use the words I use for him. Trudeau <clears throat> won't even, I mean, he's he's now called an emergency, uh, the Emergency Act. which yeah. which first ever, right? I don't know how many people realize it, but that means that the banks can actually shut off your money. Yes. At, without any recourse, there's you you can't even sue them. Um, they don't have to have a reason. They can take your license. They can take. They can do anything they want. Yes. Well, it was really amazing to me that when you had the GoFundMe and lots of people were donating to the truckers and they got lots of money, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. Right? They just confiscate it. 
And I think then they conf- then they went to another source to do that, and they confiscated that too. I mean, it's just amazing that they can just grab the money and take it away from you. All these people donated the money in good faith, you know. Right, right. I, it's, I mean, people need to think about this. What is happening here? It is amazing. Been saying forever. This is not about a virus. This is about total control. And I've lately I've seen. Um, I've seen screenshots of uh, what comes up for people's QR codes, you Uh know, if they choose to put it on their phone, there's everything about them. Absolutely. It's so scary, isn't it? It's not about the jab. There's your, your, your social credit score, where you live. I mean, all your personal information Mm -hmm. is, is listed there. If you choose to put that on your phone. I can remember reading some time ago about um, China, of course, doing all yep. this thing with tracking their population and then giving them credit for good things that they do and penalty for bad things, getting a score, sort of a social score mm-hmm. of how good you are. And of course, quote unquote, good means that you obey everything the government wants. You can't rebel against the government. Otherwise, you get red carded and you can't go anywhere. I mean, they just have complete control. You yep. Know? You literally can't go anywhere. You can't, you use your, your card at the gas mm-hmm. station and it's refused. Exactly. Um, exactly. You, All of a sudden you're basically a prisoner in your own home. Right. Right. Yeah, and you, you can't amazing. access your bank account. I mean, this is, this is serious. Once they get that in place, nobody can rebel against the government. We're all going to have to just kowtow to whatever they tell us to do, you know? Right. And I was uh, listening to Rebel News last night and, uh, he was saying that, you know, really this, the, because this emergency act is unwarranted. What it really is, is a way to get rid of, the dissenters to mm-hmm. to those government. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It's a battle. It's really a war, and uh, there's a lot of people on our side. So it could be that something good will come of it. I'm hoping. I'm hopeful. I'm hoping it wakes people up. Mm-hmm. I really do because I think the the Coots border crossing where the truckers have been for a long time, they peacefully left now mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and opened it up. And the police were there, but there was no there was no conflict. They agreed to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll probably go somewhere else. People want change, but they want peaceful change. Nobody yes. wants conflict. Nobody wants violence. Actually, which is great, right? That's I really know, great. I know. I mean, they really are being so incredibly reasonable. And there's all races, creeds, colors, sexes in, mm-hmm. involved in this. It's not. Uh, it's not a white supremacist group. Mm-hmm. They're fighting for everybody's freedom, right? You know? and, yes, and that's it's really what, great. That's what everyone needs to get. That they mm-hmm. are fighting for our freedoms, our freedom to to travel, our freedom to put into our bodies what we want, right? <laughs> our our freedom to do the work that we want to do, um, to live where we want to live, just to live peacefully. And I'll take this even further because in my, from what I understand, the galactic community does not want us <laughs> if we are a violent planet. Mm-hmm. We have to be, <laughs> we have point. to be, really, we have to <laughs> the be. galactic a, community, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in order to join the galactic community, we have to be a peaceful planet. Yes, and right now we're not. <laughs> no, 
No. And I mean, can you imagine all of the technology and the beauty and that would be available to us? I mean, you can't even imagine if we were a part of uh, the galactic community with our with our brothers and sisters as a mm-hmm. peaceful planet. Right. Yes. And we could use all the technology, you know, in, in the internet and whatnot for peaceful means. It, it has. Yes. And for healing. And I mean, there's so much, so much to grow food. Um, I mean, the, I think the, the possibilities are endless, but mm-hmm. the, the planets that are a part of the, I don't know if it's a galactic federation or what, it, what the group is, but you know, they're all peaceful and they all help each other. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I really like uh, also the opportunity for the internet to open up um, trade that doesn't involve middlemen. And this is mm-hmm. one thing I'm really appreciating about farms, you know, it's sort of directly from the farm to your table. Yes. Um, and, and it's really nice, uh, you know, here in Kauai, we have some lovely farms, organic farms, and, and we buy from one farm where we just go on the web and they have the lovely pictures of the different items. You just click the items, you know, re- order whatever mm-hmm. you like among their offerings. And then you sort of pish, you know, pay with your credit card and then you, you go to the farm and you pick up a bag and they put all that stuff in the, into the bag with your name on it. Nice. So you don't even have to shop, you know, and there's no middleman. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they can, they can, they get more money for their food because there's no middleman stealing a good part of the money. You know, you know what I mean? It doesn't right. get marked up. It's right. straight from the farm to no. you. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so perfect. And I think we should be doing that across the country, you know, because it would be easy to do with the internet. It's so easy to set that up, I think. I would days. think so. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a Zoom uh, support group on Mondays. And uh, one of the people is lives in Australia. And she was saying that that was that was her job this week was the boxes of fresh produce. That's how they're starting to make change and to be more self-reliant uh, from the local local growers. And it was mm-hmm. her job to sort it out and see where people are going to pick it up and all of that. Right. But it's it's something as much as possible to to have local produce. I mean, we don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of weird things about what they're trying to put into um, into commercial products and yeah i know i really like just getting it right fresh from the farm right with minimal processing absolutely absolutely that's the future and we need that we need those small certified organic farms Mm -hmm. they they Mm -hmm. just sprout up everywhere across the country right um, to help solve our food crisis because we're really in a mess right now with food okay so what do you see as the issues, some of the pro- the more prominent issues that are going to be coming up for people if they, you know, keep getting their boosters. And, right. Because I'm hearing three to five years seems to be the, I mean, there are issues happening pretty much right away, but right. there's going to be an influx in three to five years is kind of what I've been, I've been hearing. Yeah. Judy Mikrovitz, you know, you probably know Judy mm-hmm. Mikrovitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she seems to think that there's real um, awful things coming from these. So there is a question of whether, and I don't know the answer, to be honest with you, whether the vaccine ends up putting your body into a permanently different state. I believe this, that's moving you towards the point where you're going to get one of these horrible diseases earlier in life, or maybe even get what you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have caught it that disease, you know, 20 years from now, you wouldn't catch it if you didn't get that vaccine. But the vaccine has pushed you in the direction towards developing one of these neurodegenerative diseases, because these diseases take decades to mature into uh, symptoms. You know, right. you've got this slow process of 
of these different misfolded proteins accumulating different parts of your body, and especially in the brain. And then at some point, uh, you've got enough of them there that your brain's no longer working the way it should. You start to see symptoms. And that could be 20 years after you got the vaccine that you would have an effect. Mm -hmm. You would have no clue that it was because of that vaccine, but it would be there as an effect. So I don't know how easy it's going to be to see such a signal, but I'm predicting that we're going to have alarming increases in Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, CJD, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, Mm -hmm. probably even multiple sclerosis, various autoimmune diseases, you know, lupus, um, diabetes, you know, just all and even like antiphospholipid syndrome. There's all these different autoimmune conditions that I think are going to go up because there's um, lots and lots of opportunity for what's called molecular mimicry with the particular amino acids that are in that uh, spike protein. You develop now. What does that mean, molecular mimicry? It's quite interesting with autoimmune disease. What they they've come to um, research has shown that many autoimmune diseases arise out of antibodies that were originally produced against a foreign protein, but now they're attacking a human protein instead and causing disease. So multiple sclerosis is a good example of that. And Mm -hmm. um, so the foreign protein is the spike protein. And so when you're producing tons of it and you're developing enormous, and it's true, an enormous antibody response, really, really high levels of antibodies to spike that are produced by that vaccine. And then... um, Some of the antibodies are matching certain sequences in the spike protein that are very similar to a sequence in a human protein that's associated with some kind of autoimmune disease. And so like Mm -hmm. the myelin sheath could get attacked and you could end up with multiple sclerosis. And so um, I'm predicting that um, we're going to see a rise in autoimmune disease as a consequence of all this antibody to the spike protein that's being induced by the vaccine. But that's just one aspect. The other aspect is, of course, the prion problem, where it's causing misfolding of other proteins. So you're going to accelerate the rate at which you end up with one of these prion-like diseases, which is all these neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and um, ALS, you know, Lou Gehrig's disease. These Mm -hmm. are all really, Mm -hmm. really nasty diseases. And it was interesting because I gave a very short – I was interviewed with a very short interview, a three-minute interview on – on uh, Fox News, and I got a lot of email after that interview. And, I'll bet. And several, there were about 10, I think, that specifically told me stories about Parkinson's disease. People were, were sharing all kinds of stories about nasty things that happened to their relatives after the vaccine. But the Parkinson's mm-hmm. really stood out. There were about 10 of them. And one in particular was that the person was first diagnosed with Parkinson's after they got the vaccine. And then their Parkinson's degraded to the point where they were in a wheelchair within several months. I mean, that's just incredibly aggressive Parkinson's disease. I had no idea that it could be that fast. I was assuming that you wouldn't really see a signal until years from now, you know, that it's just Mm -hmm. just inching you towards as opposed to actually causing it immediately. Right. And that's really scary. And there's a couple of cases I got people contacting me on ALS. Um, Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. No, CJD, actually. Kreutzfeldt. Oh, that's Kreutzfeldt. the prion disease. CJD, which mm-hmm. is also really horrible, and people getting it after the vaccine. And sometimes it was someone who had Parkinson's already, got the vaccine, and then all of a sudden their Parkinson's gets much worse, you know, accelerates right. really quickly. Right, right. 
Well, that's what I've heard too with uh, cancers that have been in remission, mm -hmm. that they come back exactly. really fast and, yes. and really hard. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the main topics of this second paper that I wrote together with Peter McCullough and Greg Nye and, and the Greek guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that it's um, it, because it actually, the vaccine disrupts uh, type 1 interferon, which is a really critical response. The type 1 interferon response is a critical response that happens early on in an infection that helps to control the infection. It's an innate immune response that gets disrupted by the vaccine. And that is also what keeps cancer in check. So this, this type 1 interferon response, if that gets disrupted, then a cancer that might be in remission can come back out again. And and my and Greg Nye and also the um, the Greek Anthony, both of them treat cancer patients, and both of them are seeing, you know, um, major setbacks in their cancer patients after the vaccine. Mm. Uh, that's such a shame. I I and it's my understanding too that anything that is kind of um, I mean, because we've got lots of pathogens in us, right? And our our bodies are have developed to be able to keep everything kind of at bay, neutral. You know, right, it's not right. like right. Absolutely. And then when your immune functions, your and your white blood cells are destroyed, and your immune functions are are degraded, it's like that's the prime. It's kind of like my indoor garden where I I think I I don't know what I did, but I've got these black fungus gnats that I'm battling. Mm. And it's like, it must be just the right condition, right? For those things right, to just right. boom and blossom. It's the, the same kind of thing. And, um, oh, I know, I, I was listening to a doctor say that he thought that areas where there tends to be tuberculosis, mm -hmm. that that is going to be a big problem. It's going to go up. It's going to be more tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. right? I would not be surprised at all because that is this type 1 interferon response to keep that bug at bay. And there's also herpes. You know, you've probably heard about the Bell's palsy, which is a huge mm -hmm. signal. It's very, very rare with the other vaccines. And almost all the Bell's palsy cases are COVID-19 uh, vaccine injuries. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and shingles as well. Shingles and Bell's palsy are both showing up in people right. after the vaccine. And that's an indicator of type 1 interferon de deficiency. Ah, okay. Okay. And the other thing is thrombosis. Oh my God, thrombosis is amazing. There's like, um, there's like 70 different types of thrombosis listed in the VAERS database. And I gathered up the top, maybe the top nine, you know, and added up the numbers and found, mm -hmm. I have it here, 99% of the cases in 2021 linked to thrombosis we're linked to COVID-19 vaccines. So 1% of thrombosis, you know, as a as an a, adverse effect of a vaccine, 1% were from all the other vaccines, the flu vaccine, the MMR vaccine, the shingle shot, all the other vaccines is 1%. And 99% is the COVID vaccines. And there were like over 7,000, 7,300 cases wow. of, of, of just these nine. So the other, there were 70 altogether, but I only added up the nine. So it's much more than that, you know, probably gets up to 10,000 cases. And I well, and remember a lot of, a, there's a lot of cases that aren't even right, not, in there. Exactly. I mean, I've, I heard a doctor say he tried 
he's been trying to report to VAERS and he hasn't even been able to. He can't get through. And Right. I know. It's not an easy system to work with. Apparently it times mm-hmm. out. Like you can be busy mm-hmm. trying to fill in your story and it times out and everything disappears. You have to do it all over again. That can get really frustrating. It's stupid wow. that it's designed like that. But the other thing was pulmonary embolism, which is um, pul- pulmonary embolism is a consequence of a thrombosis. It's a blood clot, and you get a blood clot in your legs, like deep vein thrombosis, and then it breaks loose, and the clot goes to the lungs and blocks some critical capillary in the lungs, and that can kill you, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. pulmonary embolism. And that's another one that was 99% of the cases uh, were COVID-19 vaccines in 2021. The numbers mm-hmm. are astonishing. There's a huge signal in VAERS, and they just say, oh, yeah, it's all just correlated, not, you know, they just happen to get the thrombosis after the vaccine. It has nothing to do with the vaccine. Yeah, right. They keep Mm -hmm. saying that. And the other thing was the timing, because I looked at the number of days after the vaccine, Mm because they have that data in VAERS for the thrombosis. Mm -hmm. And um, I looked for several different kinds of thrombosis, as well as the pulmonary embolism, and all of them had the same pattern, that there's a peak in the range from 15 to 30 days after the vaccine. And that's really important because that's when it was the thrombosis is due to the antibodies because okay. once the, and it takes a couple of weeks after the second shot to get the antibody response. Mm-hmm. And then those antibodies, um, they, they bind to the spike protein and that's how they keep it from getting into the ACE2 receptors. But they also bind and it's these IgG antibodies, IgG, immunoglob- immunoglobulin G antibodies that are produced in huge amounts by the vaccine compared to the disease. And those are the antibodies that will hook up with the platelets and attach the spike protein to the platelets. And that causes platelet activation, which causes blood clots. Uh-huh. Interesting. Wow. So it takes the 15 days to get to the point where you have the antibodies. That's why there's that delay. 15 to 30 days is like mm-hmm. peak antibody response when you get the thrombosis problem. That makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of things now where you breathe too hard for too long and that'll cause uh, myocarditis, um, <laughs> cold weather, warm, hot weather, um, too much exercise. I, I mean, there's like, oh, climate change, all, <laughs> everything except let's yes. look at the shot. Right. You know? That's so crazy, isn't it? It's so clear that the shot causes the myocarditis and I understand the mechanism there as well. It's quite interesting, and it has to do with these uh, microRNAs that are produced in response to the uh, to the uh, immune when the immune cell is making all that spike protein. It packages it up in those exosomes, and it puts microRNAs into the exosomes that have special power. And those exosomes travel to the heart, and then the immune cells in the heart take up the exosomes, and that causes them to respond to that microRNA in such a way that they induce an inflammatory response, and so you get myocarditis. Oh. Interesting. Now that, okay. So maybe I had it wrong then that what I think it was Dr. Hoff was saying that, that the microclots that are formed in the capillaries and that then form in the lungs, maybe that's cause, is that more for heart attacks? Well, the clots, the clots have to do with that, with, I think the platelets getting bound uh, by the IgG antibodies and attaching spike protein to the platelets. That's what's I think causing the blood clots. There's massive blood clots everywhere because of that. But then there's also the inflammation that's caused by the microRNAs and there's the ACE2 receptors. This is another issue. The spike protein has this furin cleavage site 
And uh, that is where a spot where it can get broken in two by furin. It's an enzyme that is out okay. there in the blood. So the furin, uh, the furin t- attacks the spike protein, chops off the S1 piece. It's called S1 and S2, very simple terminology. The S1 piece gets cut loose. And then that piece wanders to the heart and attaches to the ACE2 receptors in the heart and disables them. These are, there's papers, there's several papers that talk about that. It's very clear. And it's the spike protein S1 piece that does that, not the virus, but the S1 piece. So you've got all of the, of the material you need to cause this um, disruption of the ACE2 receptors in the heart, which is going to cause things like a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And all these heart issues, I did another study with VAERS and I looked at a whole bunch of different issues of the heart, things like heart failure and myocarditis and heart attack, all these things. Incredible signal. Uh, lots of uh, lots of cases of people reporting a heart attack or some kind of heart problem after the vaccine. And again, you know, 97, 98 percent, something like that of the cases were connected to the covid vaccines compared to the three percent. That's all the other vaccines put together. Wow. It's a huge signal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. What what would you or is there anything that you would recommend anything that you've learned for people who have gotten jabbed and either regret it or they were forced and, um, you know, they want to do everything they can to protect themselves now? I know it's a hard one. Um, I do have uh, friends who are trying to figure that out, who do uh, natural paths and things like that, trying to mm-hmm. su- suggest some supplements. I always go for the same thing that I go for in any case. For myself personally, I have a certain set of rules for healthy living that I think if you abide by those rules, you are going to have a strong immune system. And if if you have a really good capability of breaking down the spike protein and turning it into amino acids, that's what you need to do. You need to break it down. Okay. So if you have lysosomes that are working well, especially in your immune cells, then you can clear the spike protein and it won't cause you any more trouble. That's what you need to be able to do. And I think that involves making sure you get plenty of sulfur in your diet, making sure you eat a certified organic diet, get rid of the glyphosate, get out in the sunlight, get the vitamin D exposure, soak in Epsom salt baths, um, which allows, which is a really great way to get uh, both magnesium and sulfate into your body. Those are both really critical for helping uh, to break down cellular debris. And of course, the Spike protein is kind of like cellular debris because it's a toxic protein that needs to be removed as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. What about adding uh, something like MSM to your? Yes, I think so. Methylsulfonylmethane is a is a great uh, source of sulfur and uh, also chondroitin sulfate and uh, glucosamine sulfate and of course um, the sulfur containing amino acids like cysteine and methionine. You can do N-acetylcysteine, S-adenosyl methionine. And taurine, taurine is a uh, is a useful uh, amino acid for the uh, sulfur. All of those are mm-hmm. sources of sulfur. Mm-hmm. So find a way to get NAC, and yeah. MSM should be pretty easy to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that provide more sulfur in. So you're saying that sulfur. Mm-hmm. Uh, sulfur is, is important, especially heparin sulfate. I've written a ton about heparin sulfate, and I talk about that a lot in my book, Toxic Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Heparin sulfate decorates um, all the, for example, all the blood vessels are, have heparin sulfate coating throughout the blood vessel. And the heparin sulfate causes the water next to the, next to the surface to get gelled. It makes a, a jello around the, around the blood vessel that uh, protects the, um, 
the vast vessel wall from damage for things from things like oxidizing agents and glycating agents like sugars. So it keeps the vessel wall healthy. But more than that, the heparin sulfate is constantly it's constantly made and constantly cleared. And it's taken up into the endosomes. It's really interesting. There are different things that need to be degraded bind to the heparin sulfate. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing gets chopped off and gets swept up into an endosome, into the cell, forms this little pocket that eventually breaks free from the membrane and becomes a, a, a sort of an organelle inside the cell. And it becomes acidic. It becomes acidified into a lysosome. And then it's, as a lysosome, it can break everything down. So if you can imagine being able to trap this. And the spike protein actually binds to heparin sulfate. So you can get the spike protein to bind to the heparin sulfate, and then you and then your cell removes it, sweeps it up into an endosome, turns it into a lysosome, and gets rid of the spike protein, breaks it down into amino acids. That's what you need to be able to do. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to have to add that. I've got a little two-page, uh, I call it protocol summary <laughs> of, you know, different things that people can do to stay healthy. And um, yeah. Of course, At also what... herbs and spices. Eat mm-hmm. lots and lots of herbs and spices. I, we, I definitely enjoy spicing up my food. Any particular ones? Um, coriander, um, garlic, um, onions, um, ginger, you know, uh, parsley. You can mm-hmm. you just get fresh parsley and chop it up, put it into your spaghetti sauce. You know, just really get used to using fresh. I, I We've really enjoyed. We've gotten more and more into fresh, you know, as we got older. We used mm-hmm. to just buy the jar, the jar of spice, you know, like oregano or something. Now we buy fresh oregano, so we can get all these fresh herbs here that are organic. It's wonderful, and we just we're constantly putting those into our foods to spice them up. And of course, peppers too. I really like uh, Chinese peppercorn. Uh, it's one of my favorite spices. Chinese not, peppercorn. It's not well known. Yeah, no, Chinese, what is Chinese peppercorn. It's a lovely, lovely pepper. It kind of numbs your tongue. I love it. And some people <laughs> might not like it. It's it's a, a unique kind of pepper. And of course, there's also red pepper and black pepper. Those are also good. And um, curcumin, turmeric. Mm-hmm. Turmeric mm-hmm. is, is a sort of like ginger, but it's got it's a very um, turmeric's hard to work with. It's really hard, and it stains everything. <laughs> you know, it stains mm, your hands. Mm-hmm. But uh, curcumin and, and um, turmeric are also really excellent um, spices. The, um, these things are really unique in terms of their ability to help. Um, actually, I think it's helping to gel the water. It's helping to improve the mitochondrial function. They do a lot of interesting things. They're, they're really interesting molecules that are, they have these rings, you know, these carbon rings, and they're able to kind of mobilize protons and electrons and cause interesting things to happen that facilitate reactions in the mitochondria, help the mitochondria to do well. Mm-hmm. Now, Stephanie, when you say the gel, is that like the fourth phase of water that, because uh, I had Gerald Pollock on? Yes. We talked yes. about that. He's fun, okay. isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, learned he that. Is. I learned about that from him, and ah, I, I, okay. I've become a friend of his. He's mm-hmm. awesome. He's so, he's got some fantastic videos on the web, you know, illustrating his, um, his experiments, mm-hmm. which is just incredible. I really like him. He's a, he's a good guy. Yeah. Okay. So the gelled water out. Was there was some? Oh, I was going to say so uh, for this winter because I, I'm really not a winter person and I needed to grow things. I got a tower garden, oh, and cool. so I wow. have dill and I have parsley and I have basil. That's and, wonderful. Those are all fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that in the winter, because I have all the fresh herbs outside, in mm-hmm. but you know I can't access mm, them. That's in awesome winter. to have your own you know, mm-hmm. fresh herbs. We've talked about doing that. We could do it here in Hawaii because we have enough of a a yard where we could grow a few herbs and we really should try to do that. Yeah. And most of them, except for 
uh, dill, basil, and parsley are uh, perennials. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And I have lettuces and um, I've got little cucumbers starting and oh, I've got really some great. flowers. I, I got, I found some uh, uh, varieties of tomatoes that are real, real compact, you know, like for uh-huh. pots. Uh-huh. So I've got some flowers on the tomatoes and um, what else do I have? I've got rainbow chard and kale and this is all growing in your, uh, is it in the tower, tower garden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's what I think people really should try, um, get back uh, to the soil, you know, really uh, start to think about growing you know, rooftop gardens type of things, just growing gardens at your own home of various uh, foods, healthy foods. It would be so sweet if we kind of got a, a revolution going across the country and in, in doing that, you know, taking advantage yes. of the space you've got to, to grow something, even to put a pot outside on your port, on your deck, you know, or anything like that here mm-hmm. in the city. And I've seen some beautiful properties in the city where instead of in you know the front yard being grass mm-hmm. it's it's raised garden beds and it's so beautiful that's really nice yeah we really need to think in terms of that i think to gain control over our food supply right so that we can make sure that it's safe i will just say though that if you're going to grow things inside <clears throat> You really want to keep on the aphids, <laughs> white <laughs> flies, black gnat of uh, yes. whatever they are, <laughs> um, that, because right? I'll tell you, I've never seen so many aphids. I-, I had no idea. I was I really had a aphid factory going, and I got some of the um, the safer. You know, it's a it's a soap solution that's made from well, chrysanthemums. Mm -hmm. And so it's safe. You know, you just have to rinse it off when you want to eat your veggies. But (laughs) I keep spraying and, and the the base of the garden where that holds the water, the the top of it is white. So I I go back a couple hours later, and I'm like, Oh, my God, where did all these come from? And I clean it up, and I spray again. And I came back, I mean, thousands. It's amazing, isn't it? You got something going there. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. everything still looks good. That's what's so weird. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. It's otherwise, not... I would have caught it earlier, mm-hmm. you know, but everything yes. looked like it was thriving. I didn't know I was also had a thriving aphid farm going. Right. It is tricky, <laughs> isn't it? When you're dealing with uh, growing crops, there's so many ways things can go wrong. It's quite challenging. I think it makes it interesting, too, though, right? Yeah, to it really to, does. How to make it work. Yeah. That's yeah, and great. a friend of mine who who does a lot of hydroponics, he said, "Well, you know, it, you're you're growing inside in the winter. These bugs don't have anywhere else to go." So, <laughs> yeah, they're so happy. I was like, "Oh, that makes feet. sense. No wonder." <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but it it it's so nice to even just like this morning when you were having a landscape guys mm-hmm. were working outside. I took a break uh, until they stopped, and I went and I tended to my tower garden, and you know, I'm <laughs> nice. trimming, and it's just. Uh, it just makes me feel good, you know, to be yes. doing something. And it's really been an education, especially with the, the bugs, you right, know, because right. I, I just, I had no idea. So yes. you really, anyway, if you're growing anything inside, you really want to keep an eye on things. And because <laughs> it's, it, it seems it's almost like all of a sudden there's an explosion. <laughs> you're like, what happened? Where'd they come from? Right. <laughs> Well, wow. So is there anything uh, else that you want to share uh, 
Oh, gosh. I think we've covered a lot of territory. And we I have. Made most we of the have. points that I wanted to make. I just really hope that people, um, I really hope that parents are very, very wary about getting their kids vaccinated with this mm. these jabs. They just have to make sure, do everything they can to fight that with right. the, the small children. That's just so tragic. There's just, there's no reason. And I would like to say I've been making chloroquine. Mm-hmm. So hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine is kind of like the next best thing. Mm-hmm. I've also heard or read that it's there's a correlation with quercetin. Right. And that's another one that's interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. These are all really fun molecules. They're these, they have these rings, you know, and they, they mobilize electrons. It's just really cool. Those uh, the capabilities of these um, interesting biologically complicated molecules. Right. And in so making it all you're using is organic grapefruit and organic lemons. Oh, that's it's, really fun. Wow. It's really simple to make. You're using the pulp and the peel. And um, I just took the uh, the fruit and put it in the blender with some monk fruit sweetener and some water to make a juice out of it. But and then you're simmering the pulp and the peel for I think it's two and a half no, three and a half hours. Wow. And, and then you let it cool and you've got the chloroquine and you can freeze it. So you can have, really so you've got it for when you need it. And if you feel any, um, like my normal thing, regardless of COVID or anything, uh, is in the season is, you know, kind of a sore throat starting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my usual, my weak spot. Um, and I just kind of start feeling a little rundown, like I'm getting a cold. Mm. And I've been using the chloroquine and zinc. You want to do zinc mm-hmm. with it? Yes, zinc definitely is important. You know, next day I'm fine. Yes, that's wonderful. That's a great tip. That is so cool. And there's the, I don't, because I don't know if I should give the exact, should I give the exact recipe or not? I don't know. I be? <laughs> uh, you can find it on the internet, but uh-huh. it, it's it's three grapefruit and three or four lemons. That's nice. Um, and yeah, it, you want to use organic, of course, but I've been finding it works really well. And like I said, it's cool because what I did was put it in muffin tins, put it in the freezer mm-hmm. and then pop them out and put them in a Ziploc bag. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if uh, I've been just giving them to friends that they say, do you have any? I'm feeling like I'm, you know, kind of coming down with something and I'll give them a couple of muffins. That's just great. <laughs> and, That's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I waited for a while because I thought, okay, what do you make this big batch and then what do you do with it? You don't want it to go bad. And I waited until I found out that um, one source said, oh, yes, you can freeze it. And I thought, okay. Then that's great because you can make it up, you can, and then you've got it in the freezer, and um, you don't want to wait. Uh-huh. You want to use it right away. Uh-huh. Yes. And if you've got to wait to go to the store and buy the fruit and then make it, you know, um, yes. things have gotten a chance to. Yes, <laughs> you need to have it ready and handy. That's right. very clever. Make it and freeze it. That's really terrific advice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're very welcome. Great. Well, I think I'm trying to, oh, Peanut is, uh, she's uh, waking up here, my little banty, mm. who likes to accompany me on my recordings. So uh, she must be telling me it's time to wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been going for an hour and a minute, so. Wow, yeah. <laughs> okay, well. It's great talking to you. I always love our conversations. So, and thank you so much because I know you're a busy gal these days. And uh, yes, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your coming back. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. I enjoy, I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you. Yes. I feel like we're soul sisters. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you take care. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. 
Oh, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, once again, as I said before, if you made it this far, thank you so much for sticking with us. And thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, for unpacking your research for us. It's, it's always a joy. And I always learn so much. The podcast website, once again, is realjanine.com, where you can listen to and download episodes. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to your favorite podcast provider. And you can also listen to slideshow videos on BitChute. Please remember to subscribe while you're there. Do you know someone who would find Dr. Seneff's conversation interesting, perhaps even fascinating, and maybe they'll learn something that can help them and their families? Please share the love. We'd all appreciate it. Take care, and as always, be well. Be well.